You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. So if you're like me, it feels like everyone is burnt out these days. Never-ending bad news, the pandemic, day-to-day supply chain issues, whatever that means, and health worries have made it almost impossible to be carefree and happy. This chronic anxiety we all feel has only been compounded by the uncertainty and stress that exists in today's job market, which is why it's no surprise that talk of the Great Resignation, also known as the Big Quit, is still top of mind two years since the topic emerged. Why? Well, that's kind of simple to explain. For many of us, our job is the only thing in our day-to-day lives that we can control. We are currently seeing the largest migration of people quitting their jobs in more than 20 years. And people aren't just shifting jobs, they're shifting what they care about as well. But if you're feeling stressed, Quitting or resigning from your job may not be the quick fix many of us want it to be. Today's episode is all about burnout, how it differs from stress, and what symptoms to look out for beforehand. P.S. If you're a boss, gig worker, contractor, or employee, and you think this has nothing to do with you, think again. Because burnout comes for all of us, if we're not careful. Hi, my name is Takara Small. I'm sitting in for Jordan Heath-Rawlings, and you're listening to The Big Story. Vanessa Bonds is a social psychologist and a professor of organizational behavior at Cornell University. She's also the author of You Have More Influence Than You Think, How We Underestimate Our Power of Persuasion and Why It Matters. Thanks so much for joining us, Vanessa. We're going to be talking about burnout and a little bit about stress. This is a topic that many of us have been discussing a lot, particularly over the last two years. I want to kick off our conversation um, by asking you, first of all, how has the conversation around burnout progressed over the last couple of years? And why do we feel so stressed? Yeah, I think... One reason that we're talking so much more about burnout is that people really are reporting greater burnout over the past few years. So there were surveys that were done pre-pandemic around, you know, 2018, even as recent as then, showing that maybe a quarter of workers were reporting feeling burnt out. And more recent surveys show it's closer to a half now, which is just an incredible increase over a few years. So part of that is, you know, the pandemic and sort of the pressures that were put on workers. Um, And part of it, I think, is that because people are sort of coming to terms with these old expectations around work and being the ideal worker and how those kinds of expectations don't kind of apply to the modern world now, uh, we're more comfortable sort of calling that out talking about it and it's been forcing the issue that we can actually talk about this thing that's been going on for a while and organizations might actually respond because we're in this kind of new phase of work. You mentioned, you know, expectations about what the ideal worker is. And that leads me to ask about, is there a generational divide when it comes to burnout? And is there really any perfect worker? Is there any really ideal employee Yeah, that's a great question because 
academics use this term, the ideal worker norm, which is basically not an actual depiction of an ideal worker, but what we think an ideal worker is and what sort of organizationally that has been the norm in the way that we assess people for many years. And this goes back to like, you know, mad men time, like back in the 1950s when there was this division between work and home. It was very gendered. And if you were sort of in the professional class and a man, you would go off to work and you could work unimpeded by your home life because you had a wife back home who was kind of doing all the home stuff. Right. And so this idea that anyone who let home life intrude was kind of less than an ideal worker has been perpetuated for a long time, even until now, when that just doesn't apply anymore. Now we have, you know, dual income households. We have, you know, two parents taking sort of more responsibility for child care, people um, of both genders taking more responsibility for managing the home. And so this sort of longstanding idea that a good worker was someone who didn't take personal calls and didn't have to leave work early to pick up the kids, you know, it just doesn't apply in our sort of modern way of thinking about work and family. So the reality is very different from perhaps the perception. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess I wonder, you know, how can we how can we really determine what's stress and what's burnout? Because it seems like they'd be closely related, but the conversation about what is stressful and what is long-term burnout isn't always described in the best way. That's right. And so I think one way to think about it is that chronic stress, stress that's sort of unrelenting, is a precursor to burnout. So stress is like the tension you feel to get through everything on your to-do list. It's, you know, wanting to do a good job and not being sure if you'll actually be able to. Burnout is when you stop caring. Burnout is when you start to disengage. And instead of trying to make sure you get through everything on your to-do list, you can't even imagine sort of starting the first thing. So you feel exhausted. You uh, start to disengage from work. Um, You may experience some uh, emotional aspects that are similar to depression. And so it's sort of when stress hasn't been uh, properly managed. And I think over the last two years, we've seen not just in the news, but on TV, in real life, we've seen a lot of people disengage from work and sometimes even quit their jobs in order to manage burnout. I'm wondering the great resignation, as it's known, something that we've actually talked about on this podcast before as well. Are we still seeing high rates of people leaving their jobs, leaving the workforce, disengaging um, in general from employment. That is a trend that's continuing. And it seems that for one, you know, a lot of it does come down to more opportunities where people can sort of leave toxic work environments and cultures of overwork. Um, And I think it's also this sort of push by a lot of sectors to try to go back to normal. Right. The thing about the pandemic is it made peop- a lot of people feel extra stressed and led to a lot of burnout. And at the same time, it showed them that there was a different way of potentially doing work, right? A more flexible way, a way that involves some work from home that eliminates long commutes and potentially long hours. And with that in mind, it sort of opened up this idea that, oh, wait, maybe there is a, a sort of different way to 
do things. But we didn't really see the great resignation, as it's known, impact all industries. I mean, you know, public facing or the service industry in general, they didn't, did they see as many people quit or were individuals in those industries able to quit because perhaps they were making less money than others? Yeah, it definitely does seem to have impacted different sectors differently. And I think to some extent, you know, there's this effect where as each industry starts to try to sort of enter this new, you know, back to work kind of uh, push, right, then you start to see, oh, in this other industry, all of a sudden, now more people are starting to resign if there are those opportunities. So, for example, the New York Times had an article about municipal workers now being asked to come back to work 100% in person. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see a big push of resignation uh, in that particular sector when, when you didn't see that earlier. Right. I mean, it's something we'll have to keep an eye on. So then we've talked a little bit about toxic workplaces and why individuals have decided to resign um, or leave their workplace in general. How can you know individuals who are listening to this podcast or thinking, wow, I think I'm on the cusp of a burnout or I am incredibly stressed and I want to change my situation. How can they advocate for themselves? Yeah, you know. One of the things I talk about a lot is what you can do before you sort of reach the nuclear option of leaving altogether. And a lot of people don't realize that there are a lot of things that you can ask for and that organizations are sort of newly open to granting um, that can sort of prevent burnout before it actually gets to be too bad and before you actually have to just switch jobs to, to handle it. So You know, some things you can ask for are a break, for example, so a sabbatical. That may seem crazy, and we kind of assume that there's no way that, you know, my employer will allow me to do that. But in fact, it takes a lot of work to replace an employee and train them, and there aren't a lot of people out there, and they're asking for a lot right now. And so it's possible that you could ask for things like a sabbatical for Fridays off, for, you know, shorter workdays or working from home, flexible schedules, things like that. Things that in the past may have seemed unattainable. And actually, we have research showing that people assume that other people are more likely to say no to them than they actually are. We assume that people are less likely to do things for us than they actually are. So we think they'll do less for us, essentially. And in fact, that can be a misperception. And we take that information and often we just don't even bother asking because we assume we know what the answer is going to be. But again, that is often wrong. One thing that we tend to do is that we assume that we are sort of just the, you know, for lack of a better word, the victims of organizational culture or the ones who are impacted by a problematic, always on work culture. But at the same time, we also contribute it. So just like we're impacted by norms and organizational norms, we also contribute to and create organizational norms. And so if we start doing things in the way we'd like our organization to do them and we'd like other people to do them, we can actually impact that organizational culture as well, much more than we tend to think. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. 
It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You know, and I'd love to dive into what you just mentioned regarding the sabbatical, because while researching and getting ready and prepped for this interview, I came across a Harvard Business Review piece, and it really stuck with me because it said burnout is not simply the result of a deficiency in self-care. And I think that's a perception that many people have that if I sleep a little bit more or I get that massage or I go for that run or I do something that will make me feel better, I'll be able to handle that stress or burnout. But you just mentioned that it, it goes beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's way too much pressure put on individual workers to manage their own burnout when organizations really bear some responsibility as well. And so, for example, you know, there are so many unclaimed days off that workers are allowed to take, right? There's these vacation days they're actually entitled to, but then they don't actually use each year. And so that's an example of a situation where, you know, there's something going on organizationally, right, where people don't feel comfortable using what's actually entitled to them. And so organizations really need to set norms where people actually do take time off and model actually disengaging from work when they are taking time off, right? They don't take their phones with them and answer all the work emails, right? They're not emailing people on the weekends and things like that. But there actually has to be sort of a, an organizational culture where people are allowed to take breaks. So you mentioned that organizations need to create a culture where employees, where workers feel empowered to take those days off, those vacations, etc. I wonder what role technology plays in helping individuals manage that stress. In Ontario, we have a law that's called the right to disconnect, which pretty much means that after your shift is over, you know, your employer can't contact you, can't harass you over email requesting, you know, more work or documents, etc. So can you break down to me what role technology plays in that? And, and maybe, you know, if there's something that politicians or officials should do as well to help workers. Yeah, I just I love the right to disconnect laws. I think they're so important. Um because technology does have a huge role to play in how difficult it is for us to disconnect from work. You know, years ago, we didn't have phones that were connected to our work email that we took everywhere with us, that we put, you know, next to us uh, when we were going to bed, that we took with us on vacation. And that really makes it so difficult for us to actually disengage from work and have a true break if people are continuing to email us. Um, one thing that a, one of my colleagues and I have found is something we call the email urgency bias. And it's basically this idea that when we receive an email, we think that the other person expects us to respond right away. 
So if we do get an email in after hours, we don't always feel comfortable saying, you know, I'll reply to this the next day. And so one thing we can all do to help create an organizational culture that makes people or allows people to disconnect more is to explicitly state when we send people emails that they don't have to get back to us right away that we don't expect this until the next workday or even save our emails and send them only during work hours as opposed to trying to contact people after hours. Interesting. Uh, That's a very interesting way to look at it. I mean, we do have the ability now to send scheduled emails. So it's not like it's impossible um, for people to ensure that they're reaching out to colleagues or coworkers during actual office hours. That's right. And, you know, we find that even if you don't schedule them, because some people worry that by scheduling them, okay, now you walk into work and then suddenly on that nine o'clock mark, you get all the emails people sent the night before, right? We found that even simply stating, you know, this is not an urgent issue. Please get back to me whenever you have a chance, just gives people that little bit of relief. The irony about technology, right, is that it was created to make our lives easier. It was supposed to sort of free us up from being stuck at our desk, at our computer, and allow us to kind of work from wherever, whenever we had the time. And it's turned into sort of the opposite, where we feel like we work from everywhere all of the time because we simply can't disengage and we're almost addicted to that little ding of our work email. I wondered, what advice do you have for workers who are currently employed in the gig economy where they don't necessarily have a nine to five um, because that they're, they're working perhaps unusual hours to make more money or maybe they just don't want to work traditional hours, which means that they can't always disengage? Yeah, I think even if you have sort of non-traditional work hours, it's just so important to take breaks that are actual breaks from work, right? That are actually doing something, ideally something with other people, something social, something that re-engages you with life and kind of re-energizes you so that then you can go back to work and not feel like you're, you know, burning out and you just never got that sort of boost of energy again from that time off. So it's still important to sort of create boundaries that are like, okay, this is life. I'm spending it with friends. I'm doing things that I want to do, you know, even if it's just organizing things at home. So I feel like I was productive. And then I go back to work and I feel like, oh, I had sort of a productive uh, time at life. I was intentional about the time that I took off. And then my last question, and this is what I like to call my crystal ball moment, and it's going to be hard for you to answer, but I have to ask nonetheless, how do you see this conversation progressing in the future? I mean, we're now seeing that there are laws being implemented right to disconnect, and Ontario is a great example. Um, How do you see this conversation moving forward? Do you think more organizations, more companies will start to take a harder look at how they can support staff and workers? Do you think, you know, the quote unquote great resignation will continue? What are your thoughts? You know, it's interesting because I think on the one hand, we're definitely going to have to have more flexibility because workers have seen what that's like. They've seen how it helps them to manage their work-life balance. And 
that, you know, their work really doesn't suffer. And in fact, in many cases, they're more productive when they have more flexibility. So I don't see how that doesn't, you know, stay part of the conversation. On the other hand, we've also seen a lot of problems with hybrid workplaces where, you know, you come to a, an office and half the, the workforce is there or hardly anybody is there and you're not actually having these connections and making friends at work and having these in-person interactions and sort of benefiting from that. And so that's still also going to be part of the conversation. How can we capitalize on all the good things about in-person communication that we know to be true while also preserving the flexibility that we've all sort of had a chance to get a little taste of? Interesting. I like that. I mean, I think an example of that is what you mentioned about emails, right? I mean, if an employee starts to adopt some of those processes, perhaps colleagues will catch on and it'll just become the norm. Exactly. That's right. So if you sort of put, for example, in your signature, you know, I am writing this email at an off hour because that's what works for me. I don't expect you to keep the same hours. So you get back to me when you can, or you write in your email that, you know, I don't check my emails after work hours. So I will get back to you when I'm actually back in the office or whatever it might be that says, I am subscribing to this norm. And now by putting it out there, maybe you'll sort of think about how you work as well. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa. This has been incredibly insightful. We appreciate your time. Sure. Hope it was helpful. Thanks so much. Vanessa Bonds, author of You Have More Influence Than You Think, How We Underestimate Our Power of Persuasion and Why It Matters. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can also find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Talk to us anytime by email at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can also call us at 416-935-5935. I'm Takara Small, sitting in for Jordan Heath Rawlings this week. We'll talk to you tomorrow.